0: tshuva is a state of mind, it's one of the midos of the Torah, in which man strives to return to his authentic self, and that authentic self is not always a self that's mired by sin.
1: Shalom from Jerusalem and welcome back to the Current podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us for our pre-Yom Kippur episode. Unfortunately, Ria wasn't able to join me to record this intro, but rest assured uh, he was there for our conversation with this week's guest. Whenever we're planning an episode of the Current podcast, it's always difficult to try and choose which of our authors or anyone uh, to invite on who can give a unique voice who can express something interesting on any given topic. Um, but that's particularly hard with our pre-Yom Kippur, pre-Rosh Hashanah episodes, because we want to invite someone on who might be inspiring, who can provide food for thought, um, who can leave us with something to think about um, over the higher holidays. Uh, so we're very fortunate to have been joined this week by our first choice uh, for our pre-Yom Kippur episode this year, um, and that is Rabbi Yitzchak Adlerstein. Uh, Rabbi Adlerstein is the author of an adaptation of the work uh, of uh, Nisivot Shalom, the Slanama Rebbe, on the uh, Mu'adim, on the Chagim, the festivals and the holidays. But he has also had a unique set of experiences um, that we thought would provide us and you um, with a fresh perspective uh, on Yom Kippur, um, especially uh, in light of the last year uh, and more recent events. This is also the final episode of season two of the current podcast, and, but we're already uh, well underway uh, planning and recording season three. Um, but Rabbi Adelstein also embodies um, what we try and look for in all of our guests. We've been very fortunate over the past year or more, uh, while recording the current podcast, uh, to speak to some incredibly inspiring people. Of course, Rabbi Sachs, Zechon livracha uh, with whom we spoke shortly before his passing last year. Uh, Racheli e. Frankel, Shayna Goldberg, uh, Rabbi Beryl Wein, Rabbi David Silverstein, um, and many many others, um, who have literally changed the way uh, that I um, and the Aryeh and hopefully many if not all of you um, think about the world uh, and approach Judaism uh, and modern Orthodoxy. And uh, Rabbi Adlerstein, as I say, embodies that. Um, he has straddled multiple camps. Um, in the Jewish Orthodox world um, and has been at the forefront of interfaith work uh, for many, many years uh, in his role at the Simon Wiesenthal Centre. But at the same time, uh, he sat in conversation with us, um, us sitting in Israel uh, and him in America, um, and for a large part of that conversation, he had a grandchild on his knee who was very well behaved. Uh, We did have to edit out a little bit of fussing. But Rabbi Adlerstein truly embodies um, the ideals of modern Orthodox Judaism, and he shared some incredibly powerful words, uh, which will hopefully stay with us as we go into Yom Kippur. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein.
2: We are delighted to be joined by Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein. Rabbi Adlerstein, thank you so much for joining us on the Quran Podcast. Pleasure is mine. So uh, for the benefit of our listeners, can you just tell us a bit about yourself, your background and what you do?
0: You can tell by my funny accent that I started off in the cradle of Jewish civilization, uh, sometimes known as New York, Uh, lived there, attended yeshiva, got smicha, picked up a, a college degree along the way. Went to Kolel, uh, got smicha, uh, started, on a, started on a family, ran out of money, and uh, therefore took my first job, which uh, has continued through my entire life. I came to California uh, some 40-plus years ago to be a cheer at... Uh, what was then called Yeshiva University of Los Angeles, then it became Yeshiva of Los Angeles, um, ultimately picked up a high school where I also taught part of the day, but uh, stayed more allied with the Yeshiva until the Yeshiva effectively petered out and then switched to another organization founded by the same visionaries who started the Yeshiva called the Simon Wiesenthal Center, which today is the largest uh, Jewish membership uh, Organization in uh, the Western Hemisphere and likely the world. Um, certainly, um, one that has uh, that had at the time uh, more Orthodox representation than any of the others. Although the uh, the Orthodox have managed to creep into organ- other organizations as well. Can't trust these Jews. Uh, so I've been living in sort of different worlds at the same time. Um, the uh, the right wing yeshiva world. Uh, Wikipedia claims that I'm Charedi, uh, and Wikipedia is always correct. I'm not sure that the Charedim in Israel would buy they, buy into that at all. But my roots are in the in 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 the right wing world. Although the modern Orthodox world has told me explicitly that I belong to them. So. I had the privilege of confusing everybody, which meant that during an Aguda convention, people assumed I was at the OU convention, and at the OU convention, they assumed I was at the Gouda convention. I didn't have to go to any conventions. <laughs> that way. But I, I, do, I do have my feet in multiple worlds. Um, I, I, I think it might be even more accurate to say that my, my feet are firmly planted in an emerging group uh, amorphous, but but growing, uh, that is sort of the the middle ground between the modern Orthodox world and the yeshiva world, uh, which is a strange but very useful amalgam of let's call it the the right wing part of the uh, the YU world and the uh, more engaged part of the Haredi world. Um, was sort of at home with that in America. It is a rather new phenomenon in Israel, uh, where there are increasingly people who don't feel themselves quite at home in either of the two conventional communities, but uh, are creating a new space in in between. Um, so when I moved to the Sami Wiesenthal Center, uh, largely because uh, I did have some background in writing and I have a big mouth. I got uh, put into, uh, drafted as the interfaith for the Simon Wiesel Center, which uh, initially I thought, boy, that's a stretch. The people who do interfaith work are, you know, liberal clergymen of all denominations, Jewish and non-Jewish, but not people, not the real believers. And, and indeed, in the first decades of uh, ecumen- ecumenical dialogue, which was rejected both by Ruf Moshe Feinstein and by Ruf Soloveitchik for slightly different reasons and to a different extent, uh, the orthodox world stayed out of it. And so did the, uh, the more conservative parts of the Christian world. The evangelicals never went for it. They, they were not in the mood for uh, sitting down and poring over a text and see how the different religions could pro- cross-pollinate each other. They were happy with what they had. <laughs> we were also, Hashem, happy with what we had. But, but times are changing. And uh, on, on both sides, there was an increased uh, awareness that culturally, everybody who had a strong belief, especially religious belief, was uh, getting pushed to the margins of society, had to find new ways of um bolstering their own their own communities, uh, not just in question in, as as a matter of political alliances, which I think we're pretty used to in the orthodox world, but even for sort of mutual mutual support in in cultural issues and that's that's a very broad area, and one, strange as it seems, until you think about it, Orthodox Jews are far 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 more qualified to to uh, uh, take on the road than, than people who are, let's say, less enthusiastic about the uh, authenticity of scripture and HaKadosh Baruch, whose conversation with man and a God who makes normative demands upon people. So Orthodox Jews have an instant vocabulary with, uh, with, with believing Christians, or uh, let's say more intensely believing Christians, um, and that has created a great opportunity for those of us who see advocacy for Midinat Yisrael and for Am Yisrael as a as a priority. And uh, to my my delight, I've had uh, I've had a lot of support from people who I can't mention, but people in the in the Haredi hierarchy who think that uh, alliances with friends non-Jewish friends around the world is one of the most important things for the, uh, the future of Medina Israel, mm-hmm. And um, as somebody who has guilt every day, especially now that I live, Hashem, I've had the schut to, uh, to move to Yerushalayim, um, which is experiencing heaven on earth. So I'm still, I'm still here. Uh, uh, I still feel guilt looking around me and uh, realizing that I never served in Sahel. and uh, I should have, and I'm, I'm happy that at least I have some contribution to make to the safety and security of Jewish people, the, uh, the stature of Torah and to be Yisrael. Um, I do a fair amount of writing uh, the big mouth hasn't gotten any smaller. Uh, I've written you know, for all kinds of uh, journals and do all kinds of uh, uh, broadcasts, both for the center and, and really for my own agenda, which is still one of passionately teaching Torah. Uh, so uh, I was very happy to wind up in the embrace of Karin uh, for essentially the second, uh, my second stab at the Shalom. Uh, Nesivah Shalom have been dear to my heart for, uh, for many years. Uh, what I wrote about before Nesivah Shalom was Maharal, which is still uh, my Ashes uh, N'urim, uh, the uh, the first uh, the first passion. But uh, anybody who's studied Nesivah Shalom not only won't see that as strange, but will see it just as uh, an, uh, a natural outgrowth of the same of the same kind of machshavah of morale. And you could probably guess that uh, during the years, I've gotten into Rivkuk as well. Uh, Rivkuk was, was highly dependent upon moral. Uh The Selan Marebba quotes morale right and left. And uh, I think it's a beautiful thing, probably a larger topic than our uh, than our podcast at the moment. Uh, the, the kind of unity of Torah that allows for people of radically different rumen uh, at times to wind up with the, uh, with the same conclusions sometimes with the same vocabulary sometimes with different diff, uh, different vocabulary but uh, uh there is uh i, I guess i'm still an uh, unvarnished syncretist about bringing different uh things together and it it's me all the time and i point it out to my children my grandchildren Tommy them so that's uh, that's 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 where we are. I'm the editor as well of a, of a blog. There still are blogs out there. Not everything is podcast. <laughs> uh, called Cross Currents. Which I founded many years ago. It was supposed to be the intersection between Torah, Machshava and contemporary uh, events. I'm not the only contributor. There are others as well. But I, I have my own style. And I, I write it not to be a revolutionary really, but to let people know people who are in this middle between the between the two worlds that uh, there are other
2: people out there who think the same way so i mean definitely uh, uh, there's definitely another well several other future podcast episodes in there um, but <laughs> thinking about today's one you mentioned earlier and just now as well in terms of how you have feet in both worlds <laughs> uh, both both in terms of in the modern orthodox i guess in terms of within the jewish world modern orthodox world and yeshivish world um but also i guess within through working with you know religious leaders from other faiths you know experience in both the jewish world and also hearing what's going on in, the, in other religious communities as well how how has that framed your understanding your views on things that have been happening in israel and america in the world over the past 12 months
0: oh that's uh, that's a big one let me try to unpack that and you'll tell me if i'm going too far uh sure are astray. One of the things that I've, I've found, not just in the last 12 months, and I'm certainly not alone at this, is that young people to stay in a faith community, and let's talk about us, that's the one closest to home, we care about the most, to stay committed as, as as real, authentic, practicing Jews, need to have some kind of, of a fire inside them, something motivating them—a mission statement. That's really what it's about. Um, back uh, back in the old days, when the brontosaurus still roamed the streets of Garden Hills, where I grew up, mission statement for uh, for a lot of us was spreading Torah. There's so many Jews who were alienated from Torah but knew nothing about it. And the a lot of people said, including Gedalya Hador, that the half kid of the door was Kiruv. And I was very much involved with the Kirov movement for, for decades. It was one of my chief passions, So one of the sort of the early board members of AJOP in the old days and went for many years. Um, and um, uh, gradually, things changed. And a lot of people didn't realize how much things had changed. And they, uh, they didn't realize that it's a Different, uh, different generation. And uh, Kiev was, was no longer the chief mission. It's certainly an important element of HaVod HaShem, but uh, no longer the, the, the only thing or not a sufficient one to keep, to keep people from the children of, of Kiev workers often were sort of at risk themselves because they didn't have the same passion. What is it that's going to give people passion? Um, so one of the things, certainly not the only one, but that I discovered when I, I ran a, uh, a Haredi program for, uh, for the Tikva Fund was in the applications of people who were looking to join this special summer program of exploration of different sources in Torah that they normally saw, plus the application to, uh, to political theory, the, probably the modal response was, you know, I, I grew up in the yeshiva world, I have really good training, I went to brisk, but I always felt that Torah must be relevant to, to things outside of our community. I, I, I wasn't happy with the model that, you know, we, we do our Torah mitzvahs and somehow the shefa from above bathes the world in redemptive, uh, redemptive light. I thought that the content of Torah itself must be saying something to the world about the world, and um, I sort of believe that that is the mission statement today to find what it is in Torah that that provides so many of the answers to the conundrums of modern life. so so in this pursuit of of a a, a, a more finely tuned Version of the mission statement, which I believe to be Kiddush Hashem, the universality of parts of Torah comes not only comes to mind but is there in stark reality when you speak to other people of other religions, religions that I don't, I, I have a hard time saying. Listen, we all believe in this, and it's the basis. I, I have a hard I believe that that may be true, but far more valuable are the more intense religious beliefs that as I say to them, despite irreconcilable theological differences, which I almost always interject in any conversation, whether it's with an individual or a class of of Christian graduate students, I point out that what we are pursuing, what divides us ironically, is the same. We believe in a God. We believe in a God who's a creator. We believe in a God who speaks to man, who makes normative demands upon people. We believe in Scripture, and Scripture is really the key to continuing support in the Christian world for Medina Israel. The evangelical world is losing its young people, and these are people who are not studying Scripture. Those who study Scripture feel both a natural attachment to Israel, to Jews, to Torah, and to the events of the 20th century that led to the, uh, to the establishment of the Satan. Um, there are religions out there that don't have a God. The religions, there religions out there that believe in a watchmaker God. The, the God of our founding fathers in the United States was a, you know, was the the, the God of the Deists, who took a a distant uh, role. He wound up everything, and now it's our job really to set things right. That's part of what what energized the American Revolution. The fact that people had did not have this idea of God who's orchestrating all the small events of history that was left to man. So they they, they, they did. But those who have a different kind of connection with God, um, can speak the language of God, of the presence of God, struggle of trying to understand, to understand God, have a common vocabulary. And Orthodox Jews in particular can make this known and can make a kiddush Hashem by speaking to other people of faith without losing or diluting or diminishing their own passion for authentic Torah session. Um, I'm convinced of that. And you know, part of part of my uh, mission is to convince more uh, uh, other connected Torah observant Jews of of the, of the need to hold our uh, friends, are particularly Christian friends, and probably in the next couple of years, Muslim friends as well. If the, uh, if the Abraham Accords continue to, uh, to do their magic, um, it, it's not just the question of convenience or both of us being on the ropes at the same time. There are literally hundreds of millions of people out there who are trying to sort out how do you hold on to your faith in such a convoluted world, in a world that's changing so rapidly, in a world that is increasingly allied in its rejection of any absolute values? And they find it a chizuk to listen to us. Um, I, I can tell you, I don't want to compare myself to him for a nanosecond. The absolute master of this, of course, was, was, uh, was Rabbi Sachs, Zechran Racha. Well, I can tell you from the Christian side, when he walked into, as he did many times, to Christian denominational uh, meetings, he s- literally stole the show. He was—he wasn't just a favorite or a popular speaker; he was a showstopper. And and what what did he do? He he just found the perfect way of expressing Torah truths in a language that was universalized, of, take, of, of, of sometimes even extracting truths from mitzvot that were not encouraging non-Jews to follow, but, but extracting the kernel truth there that could enrich the lives of others. You now, they used to say back in the old country, it's difficult to be a Jew. I have found in my interaction with, uh, with serious non-Jews it may be difficult to be a Yid, but it's much harder to be a pious non-Jew. What, what we get on a silver platter, a, a mahalach, a pathway of action, and as, as, as Rav Salvechik taught, a harder one of, of, of emotion, uh, and one and one of Machshava, we we get
2: it all. We have to struggle within it, and and it it doesn't remove the, the the
0: greater struggle of of man finding himself in the in the presence of God. But imagine having to do that without without Torah guidance and still sort of have to accomplish some of the same goals. Uh, and there are people who are just open to hearing strongly war worded but cogent and reasoned suggestions, not psychobabble, but theological stuff about man and his role in his connection with God that can only come from from Torah Jews.
1: Just to, to pick up on on what you say that you know we we have we have it handed to us on a silver platter. Um, I wonder how to, to look away now from. Sort of the non-Jewish world, and and focus fully on on the Jewish experience. Um, that how does tshuva like play into that? This is, of course, our, our episode before and ahead of uh, Yom Kippur. So we're thinking a lot about tshuva. We're thinking a lot about you know repentance. What does that mean? How do we achieve it? Um, you know, but so we have this process that we we can go through um, that sort of you know, whether it wipes the slate clean or whether it, you know, it does some, something else. And, and so you mentioned in your book, uh, you sort of, you highlight in, in your book on watch Shalom um, that Tshuva is is not about sort of undoing sins. It, it's about sort of perfecting our lives. Um So, I mean, how does, I, I'd, I'd love to hear sort of more about sort of how we have we, we have it handed to us, like this Mahalak. We have this, this this path this path sort of given to us and all we have to do is sort of just keep walking.
0: Oh absolutely. And there, there are two points that you've made, a smaller one and a larger one. Let me take them serially. The smaller one is that yes, chuva is a process. And uh, there are four components of it, and sure there'll be lots of disagreement as how to define them. How to tease apart the elements of azivat hachait in the charetta al ha'avar and kabbalah al Tid and 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 vidui and vidui um, But the fact that there there is a process, and because there's a process that's assigned for it, it makes it somewhat easier, even if lots of the things are still difficult and require a lot of Handholding and guidance, starting from the time of the Rishonim and and, and Rebbeinu and and the like, uh, or more more accurately, going back to the Gemara and the, the last parak of Yonah. Um, But it is a process, and that helps a lot. One of the things that becomes immediately apparent to any Jew who's halfway thinking. Unfortunately, unfortunately, a lot of us don't think at all. We the, the greatest accomplishments of the last generations. We had such haslachah, in, in bringing Torah to an expanding population, but people were brought up into it. They never had a chance to question things. It's just mechanical, it's the way you do it. That's why we're having one of the reasons why we have a dropout problem in, in all parts of the, uh, the Orthodox world, including the Haredi world. But one of the subliminal messages that gets conveyed is that at four parts to the process, it's not just the question of saying, oh, God, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry, and I hope you won't either kill me or send me to hell this year. That I more of humanity would even think in those terms, but we know that that's not the case. There has to be something more. Now, the Rebbe spoke, and he was not the only one who spoke about how it is that Yom Kippur works. Um. This one's particularly, particularly easy for me, because he, he does cite the Maharal. Uh, and this piece of Maharal is, is certainly one of my favorites for, for Yom Kippur, where he goes through the avodah of the Kohen, Lifnai uh, Lifnim, in the inner sanctuary on and, and Yom Kippur, and, and everything else associated before and after, the, 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 uh, the two scapegoats. But the high point to him is bringing in the dam into the Kodesh Kadashan in a, in, a, in, a, in a state of the cloudiness of the, the, the incense that's wafting through the room as Rosham fall says to remind man that even in this moment, this special moment, you know, five minutes out of the entire year, one Shliach, one Yisrael, don't think you're getting a clear grasp of Elocus that will always remain, even at high moments like, like this, to be clouded. But it's not that we're looking for God in the Kaddish Kadashan. It's that we're taking the life force. The blood in Tanakh is always the symbol of the life, the life force. Uh it, Accepted as a symbol regardless of how you, how you view the physiology of it. it. it was and remains a symbol of the vitality of life, of what's giving life. We take a Korban, we take the blood of one Korban that's brought, first for the Kohanim, then, then. It's another one for Claudius Yisroh, and we return it to its source. The essence of Yom Kippur is living in the presence of Hakadosh Baruch Hu for 24 hours. Uh, there's so much that cascades, not just from the Rebbe, but from from all over. The the, the Rambam doesn't call the fasting on Yom Kippur fast day like he does in the other taniot. He calls it a shvita from Achimah. It's it's a uh, uh, a respite from eating and drinking. It's like one day a year we're able to close our eyes and mimic being one of the Malachim because we're there for 24 hours in the presence of HaKadosh Baruch. it Baruch, it, it, this changes entirely how you view Yom Kippur and, and, and what you're guaranteed to get from it. I always wistfully called Yom Kippur the ultimate free lunch uh, because... <laughs> Show up and and, and and do what you're doing to whatever measure, and you're guaranteed. You're guaranteed the response from the Rebbeim Shalom. Some of your hate is going to be abolished. Some of the distance between you and the Rebbeim Shalom is going to be traversed. You are you are coming back to where you belong, to where the neshama of a Jew comes from. It's such a powerful image. It's something not again. It's not just the the uh, the, the the slumber Rebbe who said it, you know, coming from a totally different direction. If you take a look in Hazinu at some of the, uh, the pieces of Machshava from Rav and Lubavitz, the the Mashkirch uh, of the Mir, how he says what a big mistake it is to think that that uh, tshuva is about erasing chatayim. Uh, let me backtrack for a second. The, the most primitive level of looking at tshuva is, I'm sorry, God, so don't punish me. Don't zap me. Keep that lightning bolt up there in Shemayim and spare us down here. The next level up is the idea of repentance, of a change within us, of a change within us. But the idea of the change within us is still perceived as a reaction to the the damage that we've done to our neshama and to the trajectory of our lives through hate, through transgression. But what a number of svarim point out is that Hashem Hashem, you know the famous the famous uh, medrash that he's Hashem before the chid and after the chet. What do you mean that? What does that? What does that mean? It it means that as 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 uh, insists that tshuva was created before before the first chid. It was there because he says there is room for tshuva even in the absence of sin. Tshuva is a state of mind, it's one of the midos of the Torah, in which man strives to return to his authentic self. And that authentic self is not always a self that's mired by sin, which was true after the chayt of Adam, of Adam HaRishon. It was a striving to get closer to man's essential, kernel, core self, even before the chayt of, of, of Adam HaRishon that doesn't change. He says the real kiddush of it is that it's still possible to do that from a position where you've also been beclouded and besmirched by, by, by your averis. But he says essentially that shuva is a return of man to his essential self. The essential self has a great core of of Hakrish Baruchu, it's uh, as the, the Zohar says, it doesn't mean being true to your Socratic self and being true to your values and your talents, it means being in touch with your connection
1: to the Barayolam. I, I, I think that's that's like a, a beautiful idea. I mean, that, that I think that's going to sort of <laughs> stick with me, hopefully, for, for a long time to come, especially uh, as we move to Yom Kippur. I, but I wonder does that have application to to ha- like the situation we find ourselves in today you know we've we've gone through pretty much a year and a half of lockdowns and openings and and corona obviously civil unrest political unrest whether it's in america israel all over the world you know it just everything seems to be going wrong so i was talking to someone recently uh talking about you know we stand up on we on russia and yom kippur and he says you know and who will live who will die and lists all the different ways in which it could happen and, you know, pointing out just examples from the last year, year and a half of, you know, wildfires, flooding, landslide, you know, mugging <coughs> and, and illness. How's this idea of sort of uh, staying in touch or, or reconnecting with one's true self, with, you know, your 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 personal godliness? So what lesson can we learn? Well, how can we apply that to... To where we are now.
0: I'm going to do a dangerous thing, which I try not to do, and to, to, to speak for what would the morale say? What would the we say? What would the slummers
1: say? What do you what think? I do know.
0: As I, I, my my uh, what I say is irrelevant in the presence of all of these uh, much much greater people. That's usually my mahalach in life, uh, but there's a lot of advice going around and a lot of guesswork and what does Hashem want from us and what changes. I'm not going to address that. I'm going to address one thing. I hope I won't be seen as, poly, as seen as palyana-ish, but the Rebbe did stress that this idea of return to HaGadosh Baruch Hu has a synonym in part, and that's betul, of, of self abnegation or standing in the presence of something that is not just greater than us, but to which we yield ourselves entirely. And that sounds philosophical and high-minded and something that only only great Sadiqim or great rabbis or tanoim and amaroim could do. But COVID has made it a little easier, just a little easier. Those of us who have survived with scars and with conscious of many losses, are also so attuned to the idea. We have no control. We don't know if or when this will come to an end. Where life has been just a roller coaster. And yes, vaccines have helped a lot, but they say the next variant, which is coming out of, I think, India now, is. You thought Delta was something. Wait till you see the next one. And. The, the disruption in our lifestyles. The looking at the faces of children who've learned to distrust contact with human beings because they were. It's going to take a long time to unravel all of this. But the one thing that we should be conscious of, and, and you heard a lot of it with a lot of people, then they forgot about it. Was you know we're not in control. We should figure out what's really important in our lives, both so Jews and non-Jews as well. I'm not going back to that rat race. I'm not going to to spend 14 hours a day in the office. We still spend 14 hours a day working, but at least three of them are going to be home telecommuting. But but there's there's this sense that we just don't control anything. We've told ourselves that from, our Rebbeim told us that in first grade, but have we ever been able to be so much in touch with the idea that we must yield entirely to the Maharal in... uh, in Nesiva uh in the uh, Nesiva Avoda, he has just endless beautiful understandings of tefillah, of the, the essence of tefillah and different parts of tefillah. But the real, real essential theme is that, you know, for people who are saying who argue sometimes subconsciously and sometimes explicitly, why would God care about my small needs? I feel too small to ask God of anything. And isn't it kind of petty for me to take my needs in front of Almighty God and think that they're important? And then you read the morale and he points out the obvious. No, taking those petty needs from a position of absolute vulnerability and understanding that not just that you want God at your side, but that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is everything, without exception. He's the only power, the only force out there. I I do think that if we want to, we can be a little closer to that after almost two years of COVID than we were before.
2: Moving, uh, I guess, into uh, Saremei shiva and Yom Kippur, obviously we've touched on a lot of the themes already in terms of Tshuva, um what are you, what are you thinking um, what's on your mind? you know what's your Kavana for this year going into Yom Kippur um if you're happy to share with our listeners?
0: Yeah, it can get pretty personal, but I will I'll tell you that it, that uh, you know every year starting Rosh Photohop I try to find some safer and learn it's a bit every day uh, and the single image that I that has made the most of difference to me because of various things happening in my life as well and and uh, getting older and the like and uh, now a little bit past the uh, age of sixteen which I considered my so you, you get more serious about a lot of things there's a aura from review hum again um, I point that as an aside that the the safer grew out of a series of uh, weekly contributions I made via the internet, which is part of a larger group. Every year I take one safer and I kind of serialize it and do something on the parsha. And a lot of Sepharim, most of them are not uh, published yet. Um, But I'm finishing this year, Rav Yosef Nechemia Kornitzer. Uh, getting to the last weeks and uh, starting from gracious uh, and Noah, it will be review of them. So I've, I've, even it's very, very powerful, undiluted, full strength, you know, 194 proof Musa, not for weak stomachs. He, he just makes some real knockout uh, points along the way. So one thing he says, not saying this is the only way of learning the Parsha, but he, he says HaKadosh, HaKadosh Baruch speaks to Moshe. He says, "Moshe, We've got a real problem down there. You know, they've they've, they've cast you aside, and they've opted to uh, serve an ego. And they're, they're right now. We're at this. That's who we're speaking. They're at the base of the mountain, dancing around the around the ego. We've got a big problem here." And uh, you know Moshe tries arguing for some extra time. Baruch Hashem, he was successful. But Hakadosh Baruch Hu, how, how does Hakadosh Baruch summarize it? He says, "You know what, Moshe? Let's start all over. We'll destroy them." Okay. We don't we don't pay any attention to that. Amkshay Orefu. Stiff necked people. We don't pay any attention to it because yeah, we're nodding our heads. Yeah, I'm <laughs> stiff necked but if you think about it, is that what a Kodesh Baruch Hashem told Moshe? Am Kasher You said these guys are a bunch of Avodah Zara and some other stuff also that's now getting mixed into it. Why does he harp? Why does he harp on Am Kishay Orif? So Rabbi Rucham says that you know people can do great Chatayim, but they have the capacity of immediately out thereafter either on their own or for somebody else pointing out to them like. And, and you get it. And when you get it, when the, when the musr penetrates, when you take it to heart, you can make sure that the hate doesn't, doesn't penetrate yourself to, to the point that it's going to change you maximally. And you can reject the evil that you've done almost instantaneously. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, it, it was a great evader, but They should, as soon as they committed it, they should say, did we just do that? But they're not doing that. They are stiff-necked. They are amkashay oref. The kashus oref means rejecting the power of tshuva. Mm -hmm. That you kind of know that this is not the way we should be living our lives. This is not what I should be doing. And and, and you don't reject it. You don't reject it because you're stiff-necked. So you're stuck in what you what you what you did or what you've been doing for a lifetime so to me that that is the thing on my mind what what have I been doing for a lifetime of Yom Kippur is always trying to bargain with a Kaddish Oh yeah you know I, I don't know if I can claim that I'm going to get it all right but I think I'm in a growth process I'm getting there slowly after a while you say like why is this not working you know that's not working for a lot of people, but it, it really did hit me that cautious Orath, the the idea of stiff-neckedly rejecting what we should know is a is a big part of what I have to take into Yom Kippur.
2: And then looking ahead for the rest of the year, if there's one idea from Yom Kippur that we can say, you know, at that, you know, if I'm if I'm gonna you know, I'll leave shul at the end of Ne'ilah, or after Marv, let's say. I'll leave with my talit bag and my machzah, but what else am I going to take it with me for the rest of the year? What, what, what thought would
0: be? Rabbi Akiva,
2: Yisrael,
0: lifnei mi And the, the slumber says, it's in the book, that the idea of HaKadosh Baruch Hu as an Av, as a father, that who wants the closeness more than we do i'll get it down further than that the single biggest problem that we have if you want to be simplistic is connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. i don't care which part of the orthodox world you're in there are parts that that don't talk about god that'll spend thirty five thousand dollars a year on tuition but it's not the conversation you hear at home people aren't talking about how could and about connection with that in the parts of the world in which Hakadosh could Hu is everything that you don't bother really addressing Him either, things are 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 mechanized and without without real thought and without real without real connection. There is this frightening piece in Maharal, in uh, probably Teferis Yisrael. I'm not sure at the moment, where he says that Al Shalobirchu B'Atorat Chila the Heit that produced the korban Beis HaMibdash, they didn't make a bracha on Torah Tchila. So his take on that is, yeah, of course they recited the bracha mechanically, but they were so into Lima Torah, they were doing it so well that you can do it and leave HaKadosh Baruch Hu out of it and not see every line that you're learning as something that's bringing you into Das Elion and bringing your essence closer to what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is. So that that is that is so much what we need to, to end the mechanical and to work on connection with Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And usually, it's the people who are conscious of it who do the work, and not the people who are not so conscious. That you're not going to have you're not going to have Torah observant children and grandchildren unless Hakadosh Baruch Hu becomes the center of things. It, it, it Torah can't become mechanized nor become an add on. You know, this is the way we did things traditionally for hundreds of years, and we're proud of our traditions. You'll wind up with Fiddler on the roof. It got to be HaKadosh Baruch sent, not for his sake, because he can't do anything to improve him, but for our sake. HaKadosh Baruch wants the connection. He is the Av, Lifname Mi is a father. Only a father can risk. Getting hurt again and again and again, and come back for more because I want the
1: connection with the child. So, Adelstein, I think on that note, we'll we'll end our recording for for this evening. I I've certainly found um, everything you've been saying to be really really inspiring. I'm, I'm I've gone from a, a position of sort of trepidation for the Yom Niram, for Yom Kippur to feeling somewhat more confident and inspired. Um, that I'll be able to uh, approach it with the right frame of mind. And so I hope that all of our listeners uh, will bear, bear, bear in mind um, what you've been sharing, the, keeping Hashem in, in the center of everything. Um, and uh, all this left is to, to wish you and our listeners a Ktivava Khatimatova, Gemara Khatimatova, and a Shalatova. And we hope to have you back on the on the current podcast soon.
0: In my pleasure, it should be a shnat, gulash, lima, for all of all Israel.
2: Well, that's all we've got time for for this episode. Alex, if people would like to get in touch with us, how can they do so?
1: They can reach us on email, podcast at karenpub.com or social media at karenpublishers. As always, you can get 10% off your next order at karenpub.com, including Rabbi Adlerstein's book, Nitivot Shalom, using code podcast at checkout. This was the last episode of this season of the current podcast, but we hope to be back with you soon with some very exciting conversations.
2: Thanks for joining us and gamar Khatima tova.